when you're new and bright-eyed and bushy-tailed, you're like, what? Uh, this is my dream. And then, like, I can't imagine it ever being different. And then five years later, you're like, oh, Jesus, what the hell did I do? So, Jason, welcome to Hackers Incorporated. Thanks for being on the podcast. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm stoked to talk about this. So you created this talk and gave it 10 years ago at MicroConf called Building the Ideal Bootstrapped Business. Designing the Ideal Bootstrapped Business. Thank you. Designing the Ideal Bootstrap Business. And this is a talk that I have been sending to people for years and more or less was the blueprint for Tuple. And like it was, it was, it was kind of our Bible. I would rewatch this every so often. And when I, as I was rewatching this now, I was just sort of remembering how many times I would sort of cite bits of this talk and like use it to guide some of our decisions. And I had like even forgotten just quite how much of our DNA came out of this. So I guess, first of all, I like, thank you for doing this thing. It was, it was super helpful for us. Oh, it's, it's so heartening and gratifying to hear. So thanks for saying that. I think one thing that's interesting about the title, maybe in retrospect, is the word ideal. Because ideal can mean you know, perfection, like the platonic version of a bootstrap company. But also an ideal is like a thing you can't really attain. You know, it's like this per- the thing that's like, it's not that you're supposed to be it, but maybe it points the direction and, you know, that sort of thing. And I think that second meaning is actually the best meaning for it because anything in there, you can find a successful company who did the opposite of that thing, right? It's not like there's mm-hmm. laws of physics here. <laughs> like there's many, many ways. It's certainly not, this is the only way, you know, it's not like that. It's just, but, it, but I think the spirit is, look, generally this makes it easier. So you might yeah. want to make it easier. <laughs> and if you don't, that's okay. But then this is going to be one of the things that's not easy, which there's always going to be things that are not easy. The question is, which not easy things do you want? Right? So like, well, you could, if you picked a big, large growing market, then certain things are easy. Like there will be niches. There are people spending money. People already know what the problem is. Like those will be the easy things. But then the hard things will be like, how do you stand out from a big noisy market, (laughs) especially when it's global? And if there's already 30 companies that have established themselves, how will you be different from that? It's hard to be different from 30 different things that are all been doing it for a while. So you'll have those problems. But okay, but a small market, well, it's harder to get customers maybe, but the good news is you're the only one there maybe. And so and maybe they'll pay more because they're they don't have a choice. So again, like which one's better? It's like, well, they both have this bucket of stuff that makes things easier or harder. And I, I think some of those buckets are just easier <laughs> to deal with. And that's yeah. that's a lot what's in there. But you can pick a different bucket. You're just picking a different set of challenges, but also of you know benefits or opportunities. And I think the context here is interesting. You were so you were giving this talk at MicroConf, which I mean, especially ten years ago, I think was it wasn't a wannabe thing where people were there like didn't have businesses but wanted to start them. Some did and some had like sizable businesses, but I would say they tended on the smaller side. And so at the beginning of the talk you say Hey, wouldn't it be great if you had a company that would make you at least ten thousand dollars in revenue each month, even if you just like stayed in Vegas partying? And mm-hmm. I think for most people, I think you, you asked for a show of hands, like who 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 was already there is about twenty percent of the audience. And so this was aspirational still for most of this audience. And so I think that context is important where you weren't saying like this is the only way or the best way. This was like if if that is your goal and that resonates, and I think at MicroConf it totally did. 
here are some some attributes you might want to choose. So this talk seemingly came out of your personal experience. At that point, you had made, I think it was four companies that had gotten past $1 million in annual revenue. You were working on your fifth, which has done all right. Well, the fourth, yeah. WPinch is the fourth one. But I, but I was like three years into it or two years or something. Gotcha. Okay. And then you had also, it seemingly had done some, a lot of mentoring with Capital Factory. And so this, this came out of that. Yeah. Experience and then maybe common sense of just what's easier or the math, you know, especially on stuff like pricing, the math of I'm going to charge 10 bucks a month is just hard. It's just very, you need a lot of customers and no matter who you are, it's hard to get a thousand customers. It's just hard to do. <laughs> Most people never get there at any price point whatsoever. So it'd be kind of nice if, if way before then you could quit your job. <laughs> you know? And so it, you know, that's just math. Even if it, there was no experience, it just kind of stands to reason that uh, of that. My, my dad one that used to say when I was growing up, remember, it's just as easy to fall in love with a rich girl as a poor girl. <laughs> and I did not heed that advice. But uh, t- treating it, of course, as a joke, still, it's like, right, you could have a product for... You could decide to make a product for $10 or decide to make one for $50 or $100. You should probably fall in love with the $50, $100 one because you won't need nearly as many customers before it's a going concern. So again, not a lot of the universe, but isn't that easier? And and, and that one is, is to me, even just math as opposed to, you know, you have to have a lived experience or you can't understand it. Something that kind of always surprises me even though obviously it shouldn't and it's just straightforward math is when you pull out that excel spreadsheet and start playing with the numbers of what would the business make if we priced it at this what would we make if we priced it at that the impact of like changing your prices like is always surprisingly bigger than I expect, even when I know to expect that, even though I know it's just simple arithmetic. Like if you have a $10 product and you can justify charging $20 a month for it, you're charging $10 a month more to everyone, which feels like nothing, but like actually you have doubled your revenue, which is huge. And you might have 10 x your profit. And that's another thing for when you're, especially when you're a self-funded company, then that matters. <laughs> and of course, since pro- it, again, this is just math. You don't have to have any experience to understand that if the price is higher and the costs are not, <laughs> you make a lot more profit. This is easy. But to your point, like, yeah, sure. It's that's, that's quote unquote obvious. But when you get out the spreadsheet, your eyes start popping and going, oh, wait, yeah, it really is like a big deal. And of course, doing annual prepayments and seeing how that affects cash flow. How much cash do you have now? What can you reinvest in the business? Which again, is part of that talk. But another thing, which is you can do the math, but it's just eye-opening to really see it and go, wait a minute, does it really work like that? Yes, it does. <laughs> you need, this is why it's such a good, you don't have to take the advice, but this is why it's, it is good advice. Ben, do you think it would be a good idea to try and like summarize like some of these points? I think like we're already <laughs> talking about some of them in depth without even like addressing what some of the, uh, the key points were. So maybe we can sort of go through those and touch on them as we go. And So the first thing that you mentioned is recurring revenue as opposed to one-off sales. And you tell the story of how even even doing when, once you've gotten a business that was doing a lot of one-off sales, you still had trouble sleeping at night because it wasn't, it didn't have this recurring thing. Right. Every month is a new month. You start from zero. That is, that is a bad feeling. I know, I know the calendar month is not necessarily important. Although in finance, it kind of is because your bills appear every month. <laughs> like there is a reason why the calendar month matters, in fact. And so, yeah, starting over at nothing, even if you, if last month you put money in the bank. Yeah, I know. But why wouldn't you want to start out this month knowing that probably somewhere between 95 and 99% of the revenue that came in last month will automatically come in, not to mm-hmm. mention whatever you actually grow. I mean, isn't that just such a more 
convenient place to be. And again, this is now obvious. I think 10 years ago was still probably obvious, but not nearly as common. In fact, in, in particular in WordPress, where, where I was then building a new and now not new company, almost no one did recurring revenue. Almost every product was one time, sometimes lifetime. Like you get lifetime support and stuff like that. And it crushed companies. Like now people don't do that and they realize that's a bad idea. But at the time, it wasn't necessarily obvious to everyone as evidenced by lots of people not doing it. But I think people have figured that out now. So the funny thing is like, we don't do in our business, like the thing that we in some ways, I guess, like theoretically make hard, but somehow still works. Like our business is like very predictable from week to week, even though it's all one-time sales with no ability to sell to the same customer ever again. And that like stresses me out a lot when I when I think about it. And I feel like we've tried to tackle it tons and tons of times. We never come up with anything that works. But I eventually just came to terms with it. And I'm just at peace with the fact it still seems to work for us. <laughs> you know what I mean? And I've always sort of felt like an imposter that we've never been able to like crack away to run the business in a way that it works that way. But I still agree at the end of the day that if you have recurring expenses, it would be nice if you had recurring revenue too. Yeah, you know? I mean, just just makes sense to match it up. But but I think there are different kinds. So there's re, there's the completely automatic recurring, like someone signs up with their credit card, and that's going to happen unless they take another action, and that's what recurring means, and that's nice. But there is such a thing as a loyal customer base that continues to buy, and so if you have a fan base as a band, it's not recurring revenue, and then again, your fans will continue giving you money. It's just not quite as at a predictable level. Of course, at a certain scale, it's okay because it all averages out, and it doesn't matter that any one individual is less predictable because the mass is predictable. I buy a lot of Anchor products. I just like them. I think they're really high quality batteries and chargers and, tr and crap. So like every year I spend money with Anchor. Is it recurring? Well, I'm a loyal customer and and to some and in aggregate they'll they'll be able to predict th about things about people like me, you know, even though it's not recurring revenue. So I feel like one way to get around that and this is not in the talk. So this is yay, this is new information. One way to get around that is this notion of loyalty on the human level, the person level, maybe company level, but let's just say person person level where it does recur, just not with this kind of completely predictable on an individual basis. So that may be the case with Tailwind, that you have these, because I do think people are adherents and they love it. And so then they change jobs or they do another project and they just automatically buy it again. They're like, this is how I work. This is what we do. And so that's that kind of loyalty recurring in, you know, thing. And I, that, that absolutely works. It's easy to find products all over the place, out, even outside of software where that works. I think the someone moving jobs and convincing their company to buy could be like a small portion of it. But like, for the most part, it truly is like individuals who buy it and we have nothing else to sell them ever again. <laughs> and we just rely on the fact that new web developers are minted every day, basically. And we have to go out and find them. Thank thankfully, like, the thing that I take for granted the most is just we have massive distribution in terms of just Mindshare as an open source tool and then the documentation site, which like gets 8 million unique visitors a month or something like that. And you know, I, I see people online being big advocates. I do worry one day we just run out of customers though. Like it's when possible. is the last person in line finally served by the cashier. It's possible, but if you're still accelerating <laughs> growth, then, then you're not near the limit yet. Because if you were near it, then something else would be happening, right? When you're on the other end of that curve, then it, the, it, you can definitely tell. Things start slowing down, of course. But I think those advocates, they are helping. They are your sales force, too. 
And they're a much louder sales force and a more convincing one too, since it's personal advocacy than you can make. And so when, I mean, what an economist would call it is um, customer surplus. That's what they call it when the customer would pay more, they are getting more value and they would even pay more if you asked them to, but you didn't ask them to. And so that that difference between what they would have paid and what they have paid, economists calls a surplus. Now, I, I, I don't know that that model is perfect and should be you know adopted exactly as is. I have some reservations about it, but let's just use that word anyway. So I would say that Tailwind has a massive customer surplus. Like if if you ask people to pay every year, they might, or a lot of people would, or if you if you raise your prices, like probably they might. enough that the business would still work. Yeah. Like yeah. so that means it's surplus, and surplus, it could just go out in the ether and not be valuable. But I don't believe that. And it's a little hard to draw the line. It's a little hard to make the metrics, but it's almost like a real form of karma where because they have so much surplus, they're radical, loyal advocates. And they, they it's almost like they pay you back with advocacy, loud advocacy, which brings in more customers in that sense that surplus is actually bringing in more customers and causing growth, even though it's not the typical quote unquote recurring revenue growth model. It is a model in which some kind of thing is pulling in the next set of customers in that surplus sense. So I guess you could say, if you're not going to capture that value by charging, you can capture it through these surplus, you know, what happens when there's surplus. I think you do do that, even if it's unwitting, but you could also do it more on purpose. And you said, we don't have anything else to sell. Well, someday maybe you will. And maybe that's a good idea to have a second product, even if it's also not recurring. (laughs) And maybe that's part of the answer in the future. Who knows? What do you think about the idea that like lifetime value is more important than MRR? You know what I mean? Like if I feel like we could charge someone $99 a year for access to Tailwind stuff, but they might never pay for the second year because it's the sort of product where you can just get in and get everything and get out. Or maybe they pay for two years, but not three years, but I can charge them once and it's the same as them paying for four years. To me, on paper, that seems like, well, yes, you should definitely do that because you get more and you get it up front. Kind of like the point you made in the talk around like the annual plan stuff. And if people churn anyways, and you always have to find new customers because there's always churn, then maybe this math makes sense. But when you really zoom out, it still comes back to like, okay, well, that's one time versus recurring and recurring is supposed to be better than one time. How do you like make that make sense? You know what I mean? Or what do you think about that? Yeah. yeah. Uh, I think the fallacy here is you're still thinking like a, like a SaaS company that delivers value on a regular basis and charges for it. And you're saying, that's not what I do. I, the customer gets the value out of it and then doesn't need to pay the same amount of money next year because that's not how it works. But what is happening is Tailwind's getting better. There's more documentation. There's more features. There's more, you know, there, there is something happening. It's just not the same thing as that first time. So the, the goal isn't just to be recurring because it says somewhere that recurring is better. And so I should take a price, cut it by four. I should take a one-time price, cut it by four, then hope people stay at least four years. That's the wrong mentality because that's just like injecting recurring into something that's like, why are you doing that? I don't understand why you're doing that now. So I think what is a good reason is you have ongoing expenses, which benefit the customer. 
like support, documentation that they can reuse, examples that they can reference and reuse, maybe even like a community, even if it's not your own, that's online that supports people like, hey, how do, how do you do this? Of course, just upgrades to the software. There's always new changes in CSS, obviously. So Tailwind hopefully is catch, you know, obviously is keeping up with all that. That takes development effort. And everyone knows that. Like everyone knows that that stuff is not free, you know, for you to do. But that doesn't mean it's worth a hundred dollars the first year and still worth another hundred dollars next year and so on forever. That's not necessarily how it works. So what you could do is go back to what we did at SmartBear and what we used to do in software before recurring revenue, which everyone used to do, which is when you first buy it, it's a price. And and then when you renew later, it's at like 20% of that price, right? So you pay, I'm making up numbers completely now, but you pay $500 for the first year. And then you only pay 100 bucks for the subsequent years or 50 bucks or something. And you could even call it something like a sustaining membership or, or something like, hey, like we're going to we're not going to ask you for another 500 bucks. Like you're in. But uh, you know, everything requires updates and we're constantly coming out with new examples for you and new tips for you. We're not going to ask you to pay that whole thing again like those crappy recurring revenue companies that keep that keep dinging you every year. No way. Just a small membership, just a small sustaining amount just for that little extra that we are doing, that's all I ask. And some people will do it and some won't. And maybe you don't care because maybe you're like, look, if you're, you don't have much money, you're trying to make a go of it as a freelancer, you bought it once. You're like, I can't even afford it. You're good. God bless. Go do your thing. But many people, I would bet, love Tailwind and want it to, want it to live forever, want it to continue to evolve. They don't want the development to stop. And if that meant they were just contributing a little bit compared to the first purchase, just a little per year for that ongoing thing, and just a, whatever percentage of the base was like, yeah, I'll do that, or it's the company card, or look, I'm doing fine. Of course, I'll kick another 50 bucks at you for, or you know, some, some relatively nominal thing just to keep this thing I love going. Sure, I'll do that. I mean, shoot, all of a sudden, that, again, like that's so much more revenue and profit since you're doing the work anyway it's just it, it could be transformative in terms of the revenue and, and especially profit for the business and you're not even asking everyone to do it it's like hey if you want to if you want to sustain because we keep doing work just just keep keeping it a little and so you don't have to have the mentality it's 99 dollars a year don't do that the, have it 400 and then 50 a year just to just to sustain that might be great Yep. Yep. That makes a lot of sense. Just really kind of ma- match the payment schedule to like the value delivery. Yeah. Schedule. And you can even name it that, you know, Hey, we know this is just like to keep up the, keep up the good stuff, keep, keep it current with everything, make sure it's compatible with all the new browsers and all the new devices and blah, blah, blah. You know, all the, all the latest polyfill whatever's that are needed to do the whatever. Like, I don't know, but like there's stuff, right. And you're relying on us to do that. And we're not going to ask you to pay for the whole thing again. We're just asking you to, you know, pitch in for these, uh, these improvements that are coming out that you get. Mm-hmm. No, that's great advice. The next thing that stood out to me was you talked about validation phase for businesses and you share the story of, reaching out to people and saying, reaching out to consultants who were supposedly, you were expecting to be customers of your product and saying, I'm happy to pay whatever your hourly rate is for a little bit of your time because I want to run this idea by you and see if this is a thing you actually might buy. And seeing if you can get them to actually pay for something, like charge a card or like sign a thing or at least say out loud, yes, I would, I would buy this. And I was talking to Adam in a different episode that this was actually, this is the thing that we did when we were validating Tuple. So I had two other co-founders and they were off building the thing. And I was reaching out to our mailing list and talking to my network and getting on calls with people and saying like, I want you to sign up for this and I want you to prepay for a year. 
And how about this price that I pulled out of the air? And we ended up charging, I think it would end up being like over 20 grand in like pre-sales for annual contracts for a thing that didn't exist, which I was shocked it worked a little bit, but it also was like insanely comforting from the point of view of, okay, if I can build this thing that I am describing, if the vaporware can become, you know, real software, then we should be good because people will pay for it before it even exists. Yeah. When it happens, you're like, what more evidence could you possibly have? <laughs> you know, like this is the ultimate evidence. But that's why it's a good idea because that's what it is. And if they won't do it, it doesn't prove everything's wrong and that won't work, but it does mean it's a little harder. There's something stopping them. Of course, it also depends on the product. One nice thing about Tuple is if ultimately you didn't build it or it didn't work, I'm still doing my job. Like it, I'm not, nothing's cratered because I don't have it. Whereas it could be like, well, this is a critical system. If it doesn't work, like we're in big trouble. So this whole like it's vaporware and I don't care. Yeah, I care. <laughs> you know, so it could very, very much depend on like what is it and what does it mean to the customer. Of course, you you could sort of make that argument in reverse and say, look, if you're going to raise a lot of money and build the next whatever, then okay, build whatever you want. But if you're self-funded and you want a path that's less risky and more possible then don't pick some system of record where if it goes down, like everything's like, don't do that kind of thing. Cause as a solo or just a few people, can you really put in that much quality in this and that and be waking up in the middle of the night? Like, like you, you could, but doesn't that sound so much harder? And to your point, like mm -hmm. maybe you could get prepays on stuff oddly because it's not as, as mission critical. <laughs> like it's funny. It, it sounds wrong. Like, no, you'd, they'd be more willing to pay for mission critical stuff. Right. It's like, well, that too. Yes. It's a good, it's a good place to be, but but actually stuff that people really love where it's about delight and like added utility as opposed to, you know, the basal layer where if it's gone, there's this huge problem. Actually, that's a place where people can experiment, can throw the dice, can go ahead and, and run 200 bucks on their corporate card because who cares and just see like, what the hell? Well, gee, that's actually nice place to be as a new self-funded company. That sounds good. I, I have run into a tiny caveat with this. So my, my friend Derek Reimer started a company and he, he did the same move of getting people to prepay for things. And it turned out in practice that there was this willingness to prepay a certain amount to, to sort of support the project and encourage Derek. And like everyone said, like, yeah, we agree. Like this thing is bad and we wish there were a better solution. And then in practice, even as he had built a pretty good answer to this problem, it was really hard to get people to switch. So the switching costs it ended up ended up being really huge. And so those, I think he would say in retrospect that like willingness to pay is not the same as willingness to like swap your whole company to like a new chat system, for example. And so he he thinks he got a little bit of a false signal there, like an aspirational prepayment almost, like buying a course that you never take. Yeah, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and, and a little bit of fame being a danger, perhaps, or like having an audience. There were enough people yeah. that knew Derek and liked him and wanted to oh, support him. Oh, yeah, that him. doesn't count. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that, no. you know, no, that doesn't if you count have at a few all. thousand people getting eight or nine prepays, it seems like you've been validated, but maybe not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, another thing I've heard, I have less personal experience on this now, because now we have, we have almost 200,000 customers. So if we want to ask customers things, we can just do that at scale without having to like go find strangers, you know, although we still do do that, but we have teams of people who do that. And, you know, you, there's, there's like all kinds of methods you can use if you can spend money. So I haven't, you know, personally tried to find a stranger to talk to in, in a, since, you know, then when, when I was doing exactly that, <laughs> as you, as you mentioned, what I've heard though, from lots of people is that it's really hard now to get people on the phone. 
like the whole just reach out on linkedin yeah everyone gets so much spam so much stuff and now now i'm really into opinion territory here like what i'm about to say is not based on data it's not based you know okay just pure opinion is since covid people are just like don't have the energy for this stuff and they're jaded and they're just like oh good another entrepreneur is calling me up about their stupid crap and, yeah. and besides i want to get off the damn computer and it's just it's just a different attitude. And when I was calling people, it was like oh, a new company, and you're gonna talk to little me. Wow, you know, like it, it was a very different feel. And I just don't feel like that is the global the, the zeitgeist right now. And it's really hard to get people to talk. So you could say, well, that makes it harder to do those techniques. And I think it does. I, I think that's fair to say it's harder now. So if you do it anyway, and you can get people on the phone. Man, you must, again, you must have something like that's a great signal. So it's sort of like the whole, it's good to build a company in a recession because if you can get people to part with money when budgets are tight, I mean, when budgets aren't tight, you're just going to explode because look, you're, you know, you have the, the best value proposition. They were willing to buy already. Your costs must be pretty low because you can't charge too much in a recession, you know, so like you, you're just super strong when everything opens up. So you could, you could say that that headwind is you know it makes you stronger but honestly it just makes it harder and that's too bad i think it might be good to zoom out for a second because you you have this great summary slide at the end of the talk and it, it kind of lays out this in like one sentence this this thesis that i think that we've been dipping into but i'll, I'll just say it out loud which is and, and you, you talk about a business that throws off at least say 10k a month as a, as a cash machine and the slide says predictable acquisition of recurring revenue with annual prepay in a good market creates a cash machine so we've, we've touched on recurring. Let's go back to predictable, actually, for a second. So this was a thing that stood out to me re-watching this talk, is you're saying, you know, I, I want a predictable way to make sure that X new customers show up every month. I want to find a way that I can spend $300 and acquire a $50 a month customer, something like this. And I think Adam feels the same way. But I was like, I don't have a predictable answer to acquisition. Oh my God. I, I literally just wrote this down as like a question that I considered almost unrelated for this talk, which was like, we have money. If you put a gun to my head and told me to spend it on something that would like work in any way, I would have no answer at all. Yeah, and I, I feel kind of similarly. Where if you're like, okay, spend a hundred grand to get customers, I say, ah, uh, we'll we'll try some stuff, but we we have not tested enough or answered this. And like, where where do we go from here? How do I learn to turn one dollar into more dollars? Well, that's easy. You you have money, so you try things. <laughs> like <laughs> that's that's the easy one. So you may want to hire someone who who kind of gets you going, so that you're not starting from zero, in, in with knowledge of what to do. But like, you know, the obvious things are like, well, how do any other products? Maybe competitors, but cer but certainly people in the same general industry, like whether it's Dev Tools or whether it's you know CSS frameworks. How do other frameworks acquire customers? What do they do? And by the way, the answer could be they don't get it through advertising. They don't get it through AdWords. They don't get it through Facebook. Certainly, they don't get it through Instagram. Those aren't the right channels for us. I would believe that. It's not like all these channels are automatically correct. No, they're not. But so, for example, it, let's suppose the theory that people get Tailwind because of the advocacy from the community. Oh, what does it mean to invest in that? Oh, actually, there's things. There's DevRel. There's events you could put on. I mean, maybe you do. But like, you know, there's stuff to do to to like foment the advocacy and and say like, if that's the driver, like, do more. Even just giving back more, you could increase surplus. Like if, because again, if the theory is correct that surplus is what drives it, it could be giving back more to the community. Let's, you know what? Let's go make a whole bunch more amazing themes and just give them away. 
It's just more reason to use Tailwind, more reason. And the people are like, oh my God, they just gave me. It's sort of like when a game that's popular just gives away DLC. And you're like, what? You didn't even charge for it? Ah, you got to get this game. So you could do that and not charge for the DLC. And, and like, so, so that, that, now that's only if that theory is correct. And, and, and who knows? It's just a theory. But the point being, like, when you have a theory of wh- what does drive this company and should ads be part of it? Well, you could test. Why not test the ads? I mean, with as long as the budget is small enough that you're willing to just use it for a test, then why not test? You know? But beyond that, you might say that's not, but that's not right for us. In fact, it's not even our culture. I would feel weird seeing an ad. I think our people would feel weird seeing it. Great, then don't do ads. But that doesn't mean there's no theory about what's going on and nothing to invest in to make that solid or predictable, you know, something. That's that's good to hear because I think that aligns with like some things I've been thinking. It, basically, what I'm hearing is like, you have to think hard and be creative and come up with things that make sense for your business. And that is work. Uh, and it's not just as simple as like, well, have you ever logged into Facebook ads before? No, well, all you have to do is just put the credit card number here and all of a sudden you magically make more money. Like we toss around ideas like, well, what if every single month we had like a contest where we just give $10,000 to whoever makes the coolest Tailwind community resource that month. And now you have 500 people competing to make the best thing. And now there's 500 new pieces of content that come out. Amazing. Month, you know what I mean? Yeah. And, and, and I think creativity could be part of it. I would say, why not take a budgeted amount, not unlimited, and see whether the obvious easy channels can be made to work. Another thing about all channels always is that they have some ceiling where that's all there is to get from there. And the ceiling's often a lot lower than you wish it were. (laughs) It's not like you can just keep spending money in Google ads and keep making more money. That's not true because you're just in all of the search terms that matter and that gets a certain number of impressions that you don't control and you get whatever ranking you are and maybe you can sometimes make the ranking a little higher but even the number one position only gets so many clicks and so many impressions and that's it so so anyway it's a long way of saying it's not like that's necessarily going to transform the business especially for you guys where you already have a great business and growth it's not like google adwords is going to double the business but what if it just increased the growth by 10% but in this like machine manner where you just like you put in 20k and x you know comes out and it's like look that's not even our main mode of growth but why would you not have that if it's that i I don't want to say easy but if it's that straightforward in terms of like well look if literally a million other businesses do it you could try it you know (laughs) now uh, in adwords in particular we often find that they're that their actual ROI is really bad and they're just not worth it. So any given one, I don't know, just this is by way of example only, right? So you might try that and determine that they all suck, you know, <laughs> they're all impossible. Maybe affiliates though often work for things in web, so, you know, but I don't, I don't think developer tools work that way, but in the, in the web space, they often do because there's so many people with the big newsletters and things about, you know, for web developers or it goes up on CSS tricks, maybe not there because, because it's just digital ocean. So they don't need to, you know, have affiliate, but th- that kind of stuff, right? That could work so but why not try the 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 sort of coin operated stuff maybe it doesn't work but if it does why wouldn't you just take that growth you know so then on the creative side what i would say the path there is to say what is our working theory for why we're growing and just saying we don't know is not an acceptable answer it may be the answer today but that's not acceptable and what we need to do is form a theory and we're probably wrong that's cool but we have to form a theory anyway. And if we have really no idea, we should start asking our customers why the hell they signed up. And if they all say, because I read it on Twitter, then our theory starts forming that it's advocacy. And then why do they advocate? Well, go ask them. Literally, when people post Twitter, just say, like, hey, thanks so 
much for promoting us. Why do you? Like, why do you love us so much? Or maybe you can survey people, you know, to try to get – maybe it's data. If not, it's at least like qualitative information, let's say, about how did someone come in here? You can ask. <laughs> why did whoever else did whatever? Why did they do that? You could ask and just get some qualitative stuff and go, all right, we got, you know, 500 responses. They filled in the blanks. There's crap all over the place, but there's a there's like two themes. There's probably more than just these two themes, but these two themes seem pretty clear. It's X and Y. So what can we do? So our theory is X and Y are important. Maybe there's a Z also, but whatever. X and Y are important. So let's start there. Our theory is X and Y are important. How could we have more of that in a way, as you say, that's of course authentic and blah, blah, blah. You know, it can't be fake for one second, but like if we're genuinely investing back in our folks or trying to create something that, that people are doing anyway, and we're just trying to fuel it, that's definitely good. We're just trying to fuel what people are already doing. That, that, that's, 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 that's honest. That's genuine. If people are yapping about stuff, if we just give them a place to do that, then that's genuine. Or, you know, if we, like you say, highlight people in there just to highlight what people are already doing, dribble, but for, you know, tailwind, like that's genuine. And, you know, I mean, and here's the other thing. If you just have that X and Y on a board and you're like, Look, our entire theory is just X and Y drives people to sign up. Y and what's all the funnel and metrics? I don't know the answer to a single one of those questions. I don't even care. My whole theory is simply X and Y are important. The end. That's my theory, you know. But by just writing that down, it's like two sentences, two bullet points. You know, could be could be it. Um, then what that does is it empowers the whole company to ideate. So creativity, yes. But if you can just say what we're supposed to be creative about, <laughs> you know, then, then other people can help. And maybe it's someone's in the shower two weeks from now and just thinks of something. They won't think of that thing if you haven't said what X and Y are so that that's planted in their head and bouncing around for, so that it comes out in two weeks. If it's just like this nebulous, we have no idea, then the, then the great idea is not going to appear because nothing there's nothing to form around. So this is simple. Like this is ba- like you don't have to make a big old document with lots of data. Like if you, you can, but you don't need to 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 like get started on like what the hell is our theory about this growth this is classic jason cohen like explain something to you that after it's been explained you cannot understand how you didn't know this before (laughs) but that's like kind of a light bulb moment for me just like because that's something we toss around a lot what can we spend money on to like attract new customers well it never really occurred to me to think well why do you get new customers now? How can you light a fire yeah. under that? You I, know, this this reminds um, me of, of Heat and Shaw's like default advice that I love so much. Where you're like, "How do we grow more?" And he goes, "What's working?" And you tell him, and he goes, "Double down on that." Yeah, I mean, you know, that's. But but on the other hand, if you're like, I don't know, or the answer is just like, well, it just comes in. People seem to like us. It's not even clear what to double down on then. So the, you can say that when there's a ch- known channel, which is why why not try it? You know, because there is. It's so much clearer what to what to probably do. And also, you can place little bets, and then if they work out, you can place more bets. But you know that already. You know, so sort of like, look, why not? And and look early on when you don't need to to drive growth, then don't. Then don't. But at some point, you can just say, look, you know, we've got enough money coming in. I would like to invest in growth some more. It's just time. Like if you just decided that anyway, hey, we have extra money. I'd like to put I'd like to put 20% of that into growth efforts and then the other 80% into product or I don't know, whatever, you know. Oh, okay. Then that's a moment to go, okay, now we should talk about like, should we try AdWords and drop some 10K on that or drop this and, you know, actually try to use a quote unquote expert because even if they fail, at least we've made a really good attempt. And if we just do it on our own and we don't know anything about AdWords and it fails, like, is that just because we're dumb at AdWords, you know? And so maybe the other person's dumb too, who knows? But, you know, look, we did, we gave it our best shot. Maybe we'll try it again in three years. You know, we 
feel like it if that doesn't work, you know. That that happened with us, by the way, at WP Engine. We tried things and some things worked and some things didn't. And then like five years later, some of those things did work. And is that because it was different people doing it and they knew what they were doing? Is that because time times changed? Is that because the market changed? I don't know. I don't know the answers to any of that. I just know, like, try it again. Like, not, you don't try it again in a month, you know, but you just try it again sometime because <laughs> who knows? Yeah. It's funny to me that the first two words of this recipe are predictable acquisition. And both Adam and I have ignored, like, have like five year old businesses doing millions of dollars in revenue. And both of us are kind of like, we don't really have this thing. Yeah. And I wonder great. what that is about. Like, I know where people, I know where people come from, but I don't know, like, what dial to turn to, like, get. M- to incur to do anything to it that, seems like we're both know? kind of word of mouthy like it's like people referring other people to it at least that's 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 us well and also what growth comes from more than just a new person sh- shows up so like in adam's case we were just talking earlier about maybe growth does need to come from a small recurring thing that's correct for the product and market maybe for adam again all just spitballing right maybe for adam the right thing is not how do we get in the next new person coming in? Because that's just working so well. Like, there's just no need to do a lot there. Or, or like you said, maybe just these creative things that are fun. Okay, just do it. But like, there's no reason to spend a whole lot of time and attention on it because it's just working. What we need to do for growth, especially growth of profit, is get those small recurring things going. We need to go from zero of that to not zero of that and take a little bit of that customer surplus back. There's a great quote about this by Michael Malbison, who's a financial analyst, but everything he writes is gold and he's been writing forever and ever. I love his phrase for this, which is, you want to create tons of value and then decide how to split it with the customer. Hmm. And some of that means your price and some of that means your surplus. And where should you draw the line? Well, of course, you're going to decide. (laughs) You know, easy, you're going to decide. But if Tailwind is creating more and more value or surplus, whatever, you could decide to split it slightly differently, not much, <laughs> but it could mean a lot to the company in terms of profit, et cetera. And people might be very willing, <laughs> you know, and again, especially if you did it in a way where it's like, you don't have to, if it was optional and just 20% opted in, especially if it's a corporate card or they just love it so much. And like, I don't, I don't know what those numbers would be, but my guess is like 20% who paid an extra 50 bucks a year uh, automatically would just like, like dramatically increase the profits, let's say, I would guess. And that might be very easy and people might be like hoping to do that, wanting to contribute more to the cause, wanting to, and you're not even letting them. Well, just let them. And, and for the people who don't want to or can't, well, they'll let them not. <laughs> like, is it, you know, that sounds pretty good. And so it might be that for Adam, it's like, look, this year is the year where we go from zero to not zero recurring, but not like other SaaS, not that, our way, <laughs> you know, a way that's sensible for us that where people who actually want to give us a little bit more money can. That's it because they're supporting us and, and, you know, not because we're making everyone. That's our way. And this year we're going to go from not having that to having that. It's going to, if not transform, let's just say uh, materially impact profit. Let's just put it that way. And, and our sustainability and even predictability. And this year, that's that's one of our big growth goals. And maybe this year a growth goal is not, how do I get one more person to sign up? Maybe that's just simply not a growth goal this year, but the other thing is. So we, I say growth, but it could be retention. It could be upgrades. It could be this, you know, changing the pricing or business model a little bit. That could be what growth, quote unquote, means that you're going to invest in. But being predictable, it's just good. Like everyone's salaries is predictable. So you don't want revenue to be predictable, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, you want to have some something match that, right? 
Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I don't know. I'm I'm a bit when we th- when I've thought about like the kind of what you're talking about. Like, is there a way that we could just like get super fans to sort of pay like effectively a recurring sponsorship or something in a way? I always fall to like. I feel like they need to get something for that. And I kind of don't want to do any of the things that I think make sense to give them because it's like more work. You know what I mean? So I'm always trying to find like, what's the way that it doesn't result in having to like do more because maybe it's like, okay, they get access to like a private area in discord where it increases the odds that we'll actually answer a question that they have for something directly from the team. Well, that's like, support work that we just don't have to do now that now we would have so to don't do, do that work. i mean it could be as simple as do you just want to support us or not and if there's a discord then it could be as simple as oh you get to put this emoji in your name and so everyone on discord knows that you're you have the gold star emoji which means in your name which means you're the sponsor person and that's it it's it that's it <laughs> like you get to put it in your name is it <laughs> i'm serious like if people are zealous and they want to tell other people and again i think in your base that is true they don't need a lot like they already i'm guessing they already want to <laughs> they want the project to live on yeah i think that, i think that's probably yeah true. and so they yeah. don't need a whole lot like just the barest recognition is probably enough or you could do something like i don't know if you have a swag store but if you do there could be another thing that these folks get are able to get in the swag store. Yeah, we've thought about that, like an exclusive T-shirt that's like like the gold foil Tailwind logo or something that like no. One okay, else that's can get. work, but actually it's kind of fun work because you make a badass T-shirt, you stick it in some online store, it does all the work for you. You're, you're not packing and shipping shirts, you know, like that, right? And and like that's and they use a coupon code or whatever. Okay, it's a little bit of work, but maybe that's fun work. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Exactly. If it's fun, yeah. it's fun. So no, that's really good. I think it would be. I think there's opportunity, like that's just untapped for sure. And it would be nice to just have that little, you know, that dash of recurring revenue in the recipe, I think, for peace of mind, even though somehow things seem to still work. But So the next element in this recipe is the annual prepay. And I, lo- I love this part of the talk. You, you mentioned that if you give folks, and you, the example you gave was two months free. Say, you know, you, do two months, you get two months free if you pay, you know, for a year in advance, this can be great because even if a fairly small percentage of people take you up on this offer, you end up making back your customer acquisition costs. So you can end up in this thing where you have an effective infinite marketing budget, which is great. And you know, regardless, having cash up front as a company is just awesome because you can deploy it on other things. This is this is excellent. And I was I, I went and actually looked at the WP Engine pricing page these days, and now you're giving away four months free for annual signups. So you've you've literally doubled down on this this tactic. So I guess it's it's working. Okay. I think that's it's probably one time. I think it's two months free, but but like the first year is an extra two months or something like that. But yes, it's 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 just you get the cash. I mean, it, it, again, it's the math part of it. You just do the, the math, and you're like, wait, this is just a ridiculously different amount of cash flow. Like in the long run, you actually make less money when you do annual, right? Because you gave two months free. Otherwise it wouldn't be two months free. Yeah. You're making less money. So that's true. And so you, you know, that might be reason not to do that. But the fact that you can get all that cash now and deploy it now, redeploy it on anything is so powerful, especially early when you've got no money. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. it's just, and then another thing is it really, would it, one thing I don't think I said in the talk that's true is the customers end up self-identifying who's really in right? Like even if you know, and they know they could annual prepay and then quit in four months and you'll like prorate their 
cancellation. Maybe you do that, maybe you don't. But and maybe they know that, and maybe they don't know that. It doesn't matter. When someone's like, yeah, but hit my credit card with a big number, go ahead. That means something. And and maybe you know that yourself when you when like the, your own stuff that you buy. And you know, when do you you're like, I'm not so sure, I'm just gonna stick with the monthly, even though it's more expensive. And then some things you're like, or, or, or maybe you use it for a little bit. You're like, I love this. And you just switch to annual. Why did you do that? Save a little bit of money, but also you're signaling, no, really, I'm in now. And so you effectively see who's in, in that kind of way and who's not in. That's amazing. That seems useful to know right away, that mm-hmm. signal. You could also act differently. What would you want to talk to the m- monthly people about? How would you want to treat the annual people? At WP Engine, we don't treat them differently at all. We just don't, we sort of don't use it that way. We do track that for the reasons I said, because it means something about intent. And in fact, people who sign up annual, the numbers are at WP Engine that they cancel at much lower rates, which is, of course, again, that's just data that shows what I'm saying is right on average. But you could act differently. You could be wondering why the monthly people, they clearly like it enough they're still here, but they're not quite willing to commit. Now, maybe they don't have the cash. That's possible, on a, especially on a when you're selling to small businesses. Maybe they forgot. <laughs> that they could do that. Maybe it's just not high on their radar. But if you made it easy to switch, maybe they would, and suddenly you get this money again, you know, and you're back to back to good on the cash flow front. Or maybe there's a reason. Maybe they're like, well, you know, I'm still kind of holding out because I'm still using this other thing, and I'm not quite sure. And boy, would that be interesting to know. I've always struggled with this for us because our like seat count moves up and down. Like we charge per user, and so I feel like it's slightly less attractive thing for us. Like it doesn't make sense to pre to, like sign up on annual because who knows how many of your cust- your user like your. Uh, Coworkers are going to sign up for this thing, and how do we even charge for that? And so maybe don't, right? Like number one, maybe don't. And then you can look to other companies that have usage models that also have things like you know prepays and stuff for things to do. So like the the classic thing is the clouds with like the Amazon RIs and stuff like that, right? Where oh, if if you decide to prepay for something, then that something goes against your variable usage. And mm-hmm. it never goes below the something, but if it goes up the some below above the something, then you're paying the, the rates again. Blah 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 blah. And I, I mean, the good news is customers can tune their the amount they want to commit versus the amount of savings they want, and they sort of get to pick. I would I would like to have more savings in, in exchange for committing or not. And the customer's in control. That's nice. The bad news is it's fantastically confusing. And yeah. and I, I think it's just a terrible idea unless you're the scale of Amazon and somehow this makes sense for you. And in Amazon's case, as I'm sure you know, there's entire companies who have products to help you deal with buying RIs and other companies that like have a marketplace of RIs that try to do like it's so complicated that there's entire companies designed to manage it that tells you it's probably too complicated. And again, for them that may be fine but you know again if you're a, a small business like why in the world would you want that headache you know no way so you know again exactly perhaps that's a bad idea of course there's also you annual prepay and then maybe that's that there's no ris it's just like if you go over then you go over and mm-hmm. uh, the question is when do you bill that overage and that's yeah. that's where it gets annoying like well i i wanted to pay once but now and so we've yeah we've settled on quarterly true ups so you pay a certain amount, and then yeah, we just once a quarter we're gonna issue an invoice, and it's it's okay, it works all right. It's frequent enough that you're not losing money, but it's infrequent enough that they're not constantly in, in, being annoyed. So you have this another point you make is that average revenue per user is the most important metric in a company, and I've seen you expand on this in a couple posts on your blog. I've seen you say this in a couple places, and your advice in the talk is you know try raising your prices, and you you give I love that you actually give some specific like start off at like forty nine ninety nine two forty nine just like just try those and see if those work, and if you're below that like 
don't do that. I feel like this like advice of just raise your prices is one of these things where it's it is a really incredible lever that can just work and is like maybe the easiest bang for buck in like improving the health of the business. And it has the most resistance and unwillingness of people to actually try it. And so I was curious if you had lessons, particularly maybe from Capital Factory or other people that you've advised of like, how do you actually get people to do this and try this? Because there's, I think there's just so much like psychology wrapped up in the, in the pricing. I totally agree. And I would even back off a little and say, okay, maybe it's not always smart to raise prices, et cetera, et cetera. What I would say is this, once it's really working, so both, both of you guys are deep past product market fit and things going really well. When you've hit that, I mean, you can play with prices still, maybe A-B test a little, but like, why do you want to screw this up? So to me, the advice is more before that happens. It's not working yet anyway. And also I find that often people start out with too low prices. They just come out of the gate too low. And they're thinking different things. My software doesn't do enough yet, so I can't charge that much and like all this kind of stuff. And so that's the moment where I feel like the advice is more relevant. Gotcha. Later on, you've got thousands of customers. Changing prices is actually really is a really big deal. Do the existing customers get to use their old prices? What, what does it mean when they see the new prices on the website? If they upgrade, are they upgrading into the new pricing scheme? And then if they wanted to downgrade to a tier, are they screwed because they're now in the new system? They can't have their old one again. And, and, and so there's a lot of stuff once you have yeah. a critical mass of customers that makes changing prices. Okay, it's not quite a one-way door, but it, it really is. Like you're not coming, you can come back through, but it's going to be super painful. So let's call it a one-way door, right? That's not true when you're new. So what I would say is I think it's more relevant advice when you're new, which as you pointed out was the audience (laughs) for that talk and not, not really necessarily correct, or at least it has to be much more thoughtful and measured and, and different things later on. It might be better to have different tiers with stuff in it. And that's how you quote unquote raise prices. You don't really, it's just that the product becomes the base product and then who wants the, who wants the more expensive product. You know, there's, there's a stuff that is still raising prices in a sense. It, it's, it's being able to charge more because you're delivering more value. And how does that look? You know, can, it can be different. Early on though, it's just like, look, there's only six people here. Just change the damn prices, <laughs> you know? <laughs> right? Like, stop it. This is, the mo- this is the time when you can do anything. So you should, <laughs> you should. This is your oh, moment. Man. You won't be able to do this later. So I, I would caveat it with, which I don't think I did in the talk, but I would caveat it with that. That's good to know. And that actually, that matches with my experience because in those, those first days when I was pre-selling, I was making up prices on the fly and like increasing them with each deal that I closed to, to figure out where that, like what, what that was. And then once we, we kind of settled on something, I was just like, okay, that's the price. And it was that for years. Yeah, but, but that's because you went and looked around and a lot of people do not. They just start at what, like you just said, you started something and then kept raising the price. That means you started too low, which is fine. That's what we do. Mm-hmm. And then a lot of people don't do what you just said. And so therefore the advice of raise your prices and see is correct because they haven't tried that yet. If you already have tried it, then like, okay, you did it already. <laughs> like It's probably wrong. Or maybe it's only right after you add a lot more value to it, et cetera. And then you can then you can justify it for reasons. But you ask like, how do I convince people? You know, it's I, it's hard because founders are strong headed. That's why they're founders, you know, so it's like a bad group of people actually to give advice to. But I, w- often I'm like, well, how many people signed up last week? And they're like one, I'm like, all right, well, if you double your prices, let's see how many people signed up this week. I mean, the worst case is pretty much the same, <laughs> you know, zero. It's like, that's, that's what's already happening. Like there's no, kind of no downside. 
then often it's like, it was one again. I'm like, this is still not really a signal. It just shows that like something, you know, you got other fish to fry, but it ain't the price is, you know, probably. So it also ties in with the other thing we, we talked about near the beginning, which is if the prices are low in the first place, it's just kind of too hard. So it's, it, I mean, not necessarily, but it just makes it a lot harder because you need so many customers for it to work. And so it also tying into that, you'd say, all right, you kind of need something in which you can charge more so that you don't need thousands of customers to just get started. So to do that, to start charging more right now, because if people won't buy it, you need to know that. <laughs> people are like, that's too expensive. You need to know that now. So you can figure out what is valuable enough to be worth 50 bucks a month or whatever. So it's like, get, get to it with the, with the not sky high price necessarily, but like a reasonable price. <laughs> you have to be able to charge $50 a month to figure out how to do that, basically. Yeah, that makes sense. There's a couple things I'd love to ask before we wrap up that maybe should take priority over getting through some of the other things. Yep. These are kind of the obvious questions, but I have to ask them is like, is there anything that you would say now if you're giving this talk again, like any lesson that you think the same audience would benefit from hearing that wasn't included in the original talk? I think a lot of the principles are the same and certainly the math is the same. Recurring is good. Predictable mm -hmm. is good. Annual is good. You know, I don't... Uh, a good market is good. I mean, I think these are fairly timeless, or at least I don't think they've changed a lot. I do think the world has changed a lot in why does a customer buy from you? Why does an employee want to be with you? And now I think those are very, they can be very different. I think there's a lot of folks who are like, work is work, home is home. Uh, that's that. And then there's all, but there's a lot of people who are like, I care what the company is. I care what it stands for. I yeah. care what it's loud about or not loud about. I care whether it's doing in the world, whether it's like adding to the world somehow or, or taking away or even just being neutral. I care about these second order effects that, are, that happen there. I care who else is at the company. I, I care about what my career is in a different way. In and in a, like I might be somewhere to grow but I want to. I want to know that upfront. Like, don't just say you can grow. Like, I want to know what my plan is. I want to know what my career path is for that. Like, who's going to mentor me? You know, let's go. There's the remote stuff, yeah. which of course is different and changes maybe how you work. I didn't talk about any of that there because it just kind of wasn't relevant. But it could be now a really relevant question of like, what what business are you building? Like, is it possible? Well, it's certainly possible to build a virtual business now more than ever before, but also it could be an advantage to not be virtual because everyone else is. And so the various benefits that happen when you're not, you could have those benefits and like most of your competition doesn't have them as benefits. That's actually kind of interesting. So just that whole topic of like, how could that work and how, why do why are employees here? And what, so like, should the company have a mission is something I did not cover and didn't really think about before. It was like, I don't know. Your yeah. mission is to make money. Shut up and do that. You know, like your mission is to make yeah. make make the technology such that it feels like the person is in the same room when their mouse moves. So do that. Like that's our mission. Nowadays, I don't know that you can be so cavalier about that. You could, but I feel like a company that has a mission that's more important than that might have an advantage in terms of talent, in terms of how excited people are are to be there, and. The choices people have where to work, especially now that it's virtual and your choices are kind of almost anywhere, then why would they? That's even worse for like the question answering the question, why would they pick you? And like mm -hmm. for you guys, you guys now are experiencing what I'm about to say. When you're brand new and you're employee number one or two at a startup, 
I mean, one reason to be there is you're employee number one or two at a startup. That is cool. That's cool forever. Yeah, it's yeah, cool yeah. at the party. It's cool in your resume. It's cool no matter what happens next. And you get to see yeah, everything. We, we had like custom hockey jerseys made for the team. And we picked like a special number for each person. And employee number one, of course, got like the number one hockey jersey. You know? Now, why will employee 200 join? And it's none of those things. Even employee 30 is not joining for that reason. So why are they joining? And that's a lot harder question because the answer isn't, well, your stock options, well, you're, you know, you're the first one in, well, it's a little startup. It's like, well, that's not the answer anymore. You can say, because it's not IBM, all right, sure. But there's a lot of companies that they could join at this point. And what's your answer? And of course you can have answers, you know, maybe, maybe it's people are already fans yeah. of the product. There's lots of reasons, but it just goes to this question of like, but a company that has a, a mission that's bigger than just the product or bigger, you know, that, that's like important has a really good answer to that question forever. That's interesting. And if people in general, talent care about that more than ever and customers also tend to care, where am I, where am I buying this from? Who am I buying this from? Do I want to support that thing or not support that thing? Are they part of the problem as I see it as the customer or not? And of course, People have all kinds of different, you know, perspectives on what that what those even are. But the point being, like, to have a mission in terms of talent acquisition and customer acquisition might be more important than ever. And I never touched on that at all. So I realize it's not a fully formed thought, but it's easy to like. Man, who would work at Facebook? And because it, it's, I mean, if you cared about any of this stuff, because like the mission is what privacy is screw privacy let's like yeah. work on a platform yeah. that that so but it used to be like they're at scale and they're growing and it's like smart people all this stuff it's like they're still at scale they still have all these interesting engineering problems they have really cool open source projects i mean react and all this stuff like that is cool yeah. like there's a lot of cool stuff there and yet because of the mission problem like i i don't know mm -hmm. people who want to have a general career in software like they'll be shunned by a lot of people like that's not a good thing to do for your career just on the mission basis yeah not unless you're going to join like one of those teams right you have an opportunity to like join the react team okay well maybe maybe that, that. has a whole different thing or you're super into vr and you want to work under john carmack when he was there you know what i mean yeah, that's a reason. That's a good reason. So, like, super top talent. That that's a good. Re that's one of the, another reason. This is not clearly the only reason, right? I'm just saying it. Like, sure. it's one of these yeah, things. Yeah, yeah. It's like, oh, maybe that really just gives you a whole lot of advantages. You don't have to have it, and you know, it's not the only answer to any of those advantages. But maybe that's a big deal now. And another nice thing is there's. It's so. Uh, uh, if you guys can remember, it's so hard when you're first starting. You got nothing. You got no brand, no money, no customers, no people working on stuff the product sucks like oh you have nothing mission is one of the few things you can have and it can be as strong and powerful and communicated on day one as any other day you can have that <laughs> it's one of the few things you can have <laughs> you know yeah. so you don't have to have it but dang maybe you should consider having one of the few things that you can have <laughs> maybe maybe have that <laughs> maybe take that we take mm -hmm. those right <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's really good. No, that's, that's something to think about for sure. I think sometimes I wonder how much we should like formalize that. Like, I feel like we all do sort of have a shared understanding of like why we're excited about what we're doing, but it's not like something that we have on the wall, you know? I bet you don't. The reason I say that is, is not because like, oh, you suck. It's, it's just, it's a classic thing of the leaders always like, yeah, everyone's on the same page about our strategy, our vision, our mission, or our goals are for the year, blah, blah, blah. And then uh -huh. we do is, oh, okay. And you go survey the employees. 
what is our vision? What's the purpose of this company? What's the mission? What do we do? And then like all the answers are like, it's not that nobody thinks you make shoes, right? But like the answers are sufficiently different that you're like, oh, no, we don't have a shared bit. You know, <laughs> if we wrote it down, it would probably help, you know, <laughs> right? There's one specific tactical thing that I was interested that, I, that sort of stood out to me now. And it could be that this is the, the audience factored into this choice, but you don't talk about freemium at all. That's true. I feel like freemium, yeah, this is pretty, not controversial. People aren't angry about it, but I think you, I think you can definitely be an argue both sides of, of the freemium question. It's enticing to get so many users. And it is true that that's, you know, of course the freemium model is a good business model in general. Like there's no, I don't think you can argue that. I, the reason I hesitate for self-funded companies is that freemium costs you money. And can you afford that? So it costs you in support, it costs you in servers and software. So the answer could be, well, it kind of depends. Like if if your product re- truly does not take support and you're gonna have a zero support model and also the server costs are basically nil because whatever reasons, it's a to-do app and you can't upload an attachment. I don't know, you know, although that sounds like a bad to-do app, but you know, something, something where there's like basically no marginal costs on servers and you truly aren't gonna answer the phone if someone calls truly, then why not freemium? It's like, yeah, okay. That's not most companies though. And so you you can of course find examples of freemium business models in self-funded companies, they exist. But I think when you start, you start looking at like, well, what are the most well-known examples? They're funded because you got to fund through the freemium. So like Cloudflare was still is, you know, freemium all over the place, but the bandwidth, you know, bytes cost money. It was hundreds of millions, yeah. if not billions of dollars to do that, to get to a scale where then it's profitable. You can't self-fund that. So you conversely, there are some self-funded like CDN companies. They don't, they're not freemium. You can't, you know? So I think you know, it, it, as usual, it's like, well, you can, but what else goes with that decision? So I think you can, but it has to be, the cost model has to somehow work even early and self-funded. And that often doesn't, and typically it's the support that'll get you, you know, it, it may not be the service that gets you. So I don't think it's bad, but you're up against something and you're spending money maybe for acquisition, and then that's not, you know, don't forget that. So let's say it costs you $10 just on average to get a free customer. Okay, so you're spending money through acquisition. And even if you say, I don't run ads, like, oh, so no one's on Twitter and no one writes anything and no one tries to get press and no one's in Discord, because that's all, that all counts. <laughs> you know? yeah, so like sure. whatever yeah. it is you're doing to get customers, you're not, you're not getting paid for that yet. So between that, the customer acquisition costs, and support and, and, and infrastructure, like, can you afford to be premium? If the answer is yes, then then it's an option. But the answer is often no if you're self-funded, and that's why I'm, like, hesitant. There's also, I think someone already mentioned this notion of, like, oh, yeah, when we were talking about validating with money, and they're like, I said I'd pay, but then I didn't. So that's another challenge with freemium. All the freemium users might turn into paying customers. And in a healthy model, of course, they do. Like, maybe 5% is a pretty good number, you know, in, in general. But what if the number is one or zero? Because it often can be the case that like it's the equivalent of that story of like, but they didn't, they didn't pay. That happens too. Again, like, well, no kidding. Like any business model may not work. Like no kidding. I guess my point is like, you might be in pretty far. You've been spent a lot of your savings. You got a lot of people using the platform and it's not converting. You're kind of in deep now, as opposed to finding out early on people's not paying for it. 
in your conversations or in your first version, you're finding out they're not paying for it. You might be a year or two deep, drained all your savings, and now you found out they won't convert. Now, the, the good news is hopefully you have some asset of those free premium customers. And so maybe you can still figure it out, you know, like, so you're, 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 you don't have nothing, but it's, it's, it's a hard in a different way. So it, I wouldn't eliminate it, but I would say like, you have to want that path and maybe you should be trying to de-risk that particular path somehow. Like if you're not getting 5% conversion early, you should consider that a big red flag failure mode and not, oh, we have thousands of people that use it, so we're still fine. Maybe you should not think of it that way. If you're funded, maybe you can think of it that way because you can just go for N and you have time to figure it out. But if you're self-funded, maybe you don't have time. you got to treat it like a red flag, even if they're showing up. So maybe it's more your attitude of what are you doing here? And, And again, if the cost structure doesn't work, then like maybe it just simply isn't a model. Fair enough. The last bit of your talk is interesting to me because in the early days, it didn't resonate at all. And it's the topic is like, what if it works? Like what happens next? Like what if this business grows and suddenly you need to hire support people to answer all the inbound? There's this transition, Ben, where you go from like warshipping the designing the ideal bootstrap business talk to designing like the what to do about burnout talk uh, you know yeah. <laughs> that jason gave a saster a few years ago i've i've comfortably crossed into that second one at this point yeah. you know and i think the end of this talk is sort of like the teaser for that moment you know <laughs> it, that's exactly right it is the teaser it is like careful what you wish for you just might get it and just as you said ben like <laughs> When you're new and bright-eyed and bushy-tailed, you're like, what? Uh, this is my dream. And then, like, I can't imagine it ever being different. And then five years later, you're like, oh, Jesus, what the hell did I do? Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. We succeeded. And it, I am not that happy all the time. Yeah, what why, the heck? Isn't this supposed to be is my dream job? And it's doing better than ever. And 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 it's like, what the hell? What do I, how do I even analyze myself here? You know, wholly different problem. <laughs> So it's it, it was interesting to see my to see the resonance in myself of that those last like five minutes or so where I just brushed it off initially like what this is this doesn't make any sense this is I and then until like later it'd be like oh this talk now impacts me more than the rest which <laughs> was most interesting well we can spend another we'll we'll have another episode about that it deserves that much time and it's it's you know fortunately a lot of people now talk about general mental health type stuff so there's a lot of that not that it doesn't deserve more attention but there's a lot of that. But this, what we're talking about is actually different. It's not really, I mean, it, it's related, right? Because if you're burnt out or unhappy, it's related. But it's not, it, this isn't about like, are you depressed or, you know, that kind of thing. It's it's uh, it's different, as you know. And yeah, there's, of course, the good questions of like, what are the even the options of what to do? And how do I figure out what might work and all that? And it's, yeah. And also, you know, it, it can sound like, oh, that's a good problem to have. You know, oh, you're too successful. Boo-hoo, you know. But again, it's one of those things. Yeah, but when you're in it, you're like, yeah, but like, what's the point if I'm not happy? Like, that's a pretty existential problem. And other people should care when they're not here yet. But to your point, they won't. Right. <laughs> but oh well, what are you going to do? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Me and Ben have recorded podcasts in the past where we get accused of basically just complaining about having things really well <laughs> you know what i mean and, and not in like a negative way it, it's sort of like it, people can't relate to it you know what i mean but it really is it's a weird problem that you don't anticipate running into and are not equipped to deal with usually no and and i think i don't want to say everybody but a tremendous number of people run into it like it's just it's super yeah. common i don't of course i don't have data but i mean just anecdotally i, I would have to say majority 
I don't know if that's true, but <sighs> the people who are who tend to spill their guts, don't they all say that? You know, yeah. like <laughs> yeah. they all have the stories of that. The people who are, who are willing to talk about that stuff, like kind of all self-identify as having this problem. I think it, I think it warrants a its own episode for sure. So we'll we'll have to do that. That sounds great. Yeah, maybe that's the only yeah. evidence to get. Like like I just yeah, as you said, I just kind of threw it in at the end so that maybe that's not compelling. But maybe with more of that kind of evidence and the co-hosts having it and so on. Maybe it's more like, look, I know you can't believe that, but it's usually what happens. So, you know, what to do then? Yes. But also what to do now, like what to do before that happens? Is there some way mm. to construct things or thinking about things? And maybe you don't do anything different today, maybe, but is there, but if there was some way to blunt that or lower the risk or make it better, whatever that you could start doing before it's a problem, that's probably smart to do preventative maintenance. You might say, instead of waiting for it to just blow up and go, Oh, Ben said this was going to yeah. happen. Now it's happening. It's like, well, this, <laughs> it feels related to mission actually a little bit with me where I think it's worth asking yourself, not just what's the mission of the company, but what is your mission in building the company? Like what kind of company do you want? Because your customers mm -hmm. and the world will pull the company in a certain direction and you have to, f you will often have to fight it in order to keep it a thing that you want in my experience. It's true. And, and in the moment, if you don't have that clear North Star of what that is that you're trying to fight against or trying trying to get to, of course you just follow whatever the customers say. Like what? We're trying to scrape and claw and just live. We're trying not to die all the time. Yeah. So yeah. who are you even to tell me not to do that? <laughs> you know, like hold my ground. Like what are you crazy? Like trying not to die. And I, I, I think that's exactly right. I mean, I, how could you argue against that? Someone's trying not to fail. Like I get it. So. So how do you reconcile that truth? You can't just say, well, you're wrong. No, you're right. You gotta not die. So how do you reconcile that with this other thing? What does that even mean to do? Because you gotta acknowledge the other side of that. Like, okay, I didn't do that. And now I went out of business. Thanks for the advice, you know? Mm -hmm. So I think tackling that is a pretty good question and not obvious right off the face of it what to do. I think it kind of ties in a little bit to a point that you did make in the talk, which is like making sure that you're picking an idea that's compatible with the life that you want to have. So like starting a payment processing company where it's like the most critical thing in that your customers pay for. And if your pager goes off at two 30 in the morning, you better damn well open your laptop at two 30 in the morning and try to fix this problem. Consider if that is actually where you want to be three years from now, or if you'd rather be building an app that you could take offline on the weekends and no one would be upset about it, you know? So, yeah. Yeah, see, the one nice thing about not having recurring revenue is I'm not even sure what what could happen. I mean, okay, the documentation could be offline, I guess. Like, I mean, <laughs> what? Yeah, sure. it's, it's gonna be fine, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's funny because a lot of the time I like start thinking, oh man, maybe maybe we should invest and try and build a SaaS app, you know, try and live that dream, try and do something cool. And then I really start to think about it. And it's like, like, we basically have no support now. Do I want to do support? Do I want to worry about GDPR and stuff and people's data in my database and all this stuff? Like, I don't have any of those problems That's right pretty now. pretty good. Like, do, you know, like, would that actually be better? Or is it really just to satisfy some irrational imposter syndrome of not having built like the real business. Oh yeah. Or I mean, that, you know? that's definitely not, you know, definitely shouldn't think that, I mean, you can't help what you feel, but like intellectually you shouldn't feel that way. Right. <laughs> yeah. For sure. Oh yeah. And just like, mm -hmm. Oh, I heard SAS is yeah, a real business or whatever kind of stupid stuff people say or think, you know, <laughs> like what? I mean, you, <laughs> you, you have uh, 
one of the most popular pieces of technology with some of the most vocal adherence that there is. And also people who think the other way. I hate it. It's the worst. It's like, yeah, because when you do something mm. really special and fantastic, there will be people who say it sure is. And then there'll be people who think just the opposite and they'll hate it. And it's like, ooh, that's a good sign that you're doing something really special and, 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 and worthwhile. And then you want to ruin that with a SaaS product? What? <laughs> Why would you want to do that? I would, uh, yeah, I would just say if they're so happy and they want to give you a little bit more money, let them. And that's good. You're done. Now it's a SaaS company. You can tell everyone it's a SaaS company. You're finished. <laughs> Some sick part of me, though, can't help but want to build forms that people can submit and store that data in some database and present it to them on a different screen in a nicely designed way. Well, <laughs> you know? But uh, yeah, I mean, I think, yeah, I think the focus is good. The, the, you know, sometimes people will do like the skunk works and to try to make a truly separate thing so that it can, it can succeed or fail on its own and all this kind of stuff. I just don't know of a lot of examples where that worked. Like it's hard to like who in our sort of wider indie startup or whatever world does that work and even 37 signals almost all their products failed and they're like they're yeah. the ones that everyone mm -hmm. points at and see look what they did it's like they renamed the whole company Basecamp because none of the other stuff worked good enough so yeah. if they can't make that work i mean maybe you can but that doesn't sound like a good risk that's like a good bet. No, and, we, and we, we've tried stuff like kind of like we tried to start a Tailwind CSS job board thinking, you know what, maybe this is like low hanging fruit. Like people love Tailwind. Com people want to work at companies that use Tailwind, you know, because like they're going to enjoy their job more. We launched it within like three weeks of kind of having the idea and did a bunch of direct sales to try and get like the first people on there and stuff like that. But it was really a struggle because it just felt like nobody is hiring a Tailwind CSS developer, even though that's not what we're trying to get them to post there. It's like a secondary skill set that a React developer uses or a Rails developer uses or whatever. So it was like a, a weird positioning problem. And it felt like the only solution was to build like UI jobs or something. And that's like, wait a minute, like now we're losing the advantage that we even had by making it Tailwind related. And we could keep pushing on this and keep investing in it and keep trying to like grow it. Or we could just say, Eh, let's design some more templates with that same time and energy and revenue goes up, up, yeah. up. Now you could like, if, if the idea was, look, we want to highlight people with the skills somehow. So it turns out the job board directly isn't the way. Okay. Is there another way to highlight people's skills? Well, one way that a lot of people do, a lot of companies do that have a system, but they want to highlight people is they have some kind of like, what do you, what do you call it? A certification program, right? You're a blessed user of Tailwind, right? Now, again, that may be against the culture and not something you want to do. It's so like, I'm not, you know, not, I don't know if that's a good idea, but it's just an example of um, if you wanted to somehow highlight people in a way that they could use for their career and put on LinkedIn and put in Indeed, which also even spreads something about Tailwind, because when, you know, hiring manager sees 20 resumes that all say I'm a certified Tailwind, they're like, what the hell is this Tailwind that they're certified on. So it just sounds like it's a real thing. <laughs> it's like this framework must be real. People are certified in it and it's easier to hire people who have it. Like, you know, okay, maybe we should use Tailwind. Like it just gives you more confidence that we can rely on that. They even have certified developers. So, you know, that's a thing. We were trying to come in it from like the reverse direction, which was like, we can get these hobbyists who love Tailwind to pay us money to get access to all this content, but we have like no good reason for a huge company that uses Tailwind to build their stuff to pay us any money because like they have a design team. So they don't need our help with designs or with markup. They just use the open source stuff. So it's almost like the, like 
regular individual hobbyist customer base is like subsidizing the development of open source for the enterprise, which feels so backwards. So the job board was kind of like, people know that posting a job somewhere costs 500 bucks. Big companies have lots of jobs. They might pay 500 bucks three times a month for a year. That doesn't sound like a lot of money to them for that product, but it adds up to way more for us than we're getting from other people. But just, you know, just the, the amount of effort that it was going to take to make it work, if it was going to work at all, just didn't seem like the right lever. To There's pull. a couple of things people do for that in open source. One is, of course, support contracts, but you just said you didn't want to do that. I'm just, but I'll just say anyway, they're expensive though. They're, they're the kind of thing where you expect zero individual people to get. And But if you're a big company, you're just like, wait, what's based on this? Oh yeah, we just have 306 people working on a product that uses Tailwind. And who the hell is Tailwind? It would cost only one or two grand a month just to have a support contract to make sure there's someone we can call if something goes wrong. So we have 300 people just sitting on their thumbs, you know, and so like it just becomes this thing that is kind of in, in a sense an easy thing for a larger company like, to can buy. Can we sell people insurance basically? It's support. You know, in case something goes wrong and you need help. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. It's just like you said, you don't want to do it. So, so I mean, that would mean you have to make sure to answer the call because now they're paying for it. And so you may not want to do that for obvious mm-hmm. reasons, but you also could charge a whole, whole lot. And so, you know, you could just weigh whether that's interesting or not. And then sometimes there's things like, an so like the Red Hat model was Linux is all free. So you could just get it and you, and even the Red Hat updates for like security updates and hardening this and all that. Of course, that's all open source and free too. So what the hell's Red Hat? Well, part of it was support and part of it was to make sure that you get those patches and you get them first and they're all tested and blah, 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 blah. So does that make sense for Tailwind? Maybe not because things like security is not an issue. You know, there are these kind of like big concerns mm-hmm. that you want to pay for governance, this kind of stuff is not, not, a, not a concern, I would think. But again, the general idea of like, we use this vendor, so we should have some sort of relationship with them (laughs) does make some kind of sense. And so, you know, when, when do releases come out and how do they get them? And and another thing that people do uh, sometimes with, with enterprise, with open source is you do charge for it. Well, there's stuff like, like I remember even 10 years ago, there were open source systems where the idea is if your company is over X size, where X is like revenue, even then it costs this, otherwise it's free. And, you know, people kind of whinge about it, but then they'd pay. And then how much are you going to make sure they do that? Maybe you don't. Maybe you don't enforce it all that much. But again, it comes one of these like, look, most big companies, they just obey the law because that's what that's what their policy is. You know, like, so, if the pol- so if they're using Tailwind, then they're paying. Here we have a policy of not committing crimes. Uh- yeah. Like, it's just it's so like, but what if they don't? What if they don't even know? It's like, okay, so if you find it, you could choose to enforce it or not. Like, whatever. But the point is that it's kind of found money. Sort of like what I was suggesting with, like, the patrons, you might say. It, okay, so don't force anyone to do it, but it's found money and some people might want to. And I, I can definitely tell you we're not even that big, but we're, you know, let's say mid-sized at, at WP Engine. We have about 1,200 people. And it's a scary proposition to base anything on a tool that we're not paying for. Well, what is this thing? Well, this guy, Adam, has this thing and, you know, a lot of people like it. Okay, but we don't just, we don't pay him like we paid him once ever. And that's going to stay around and like be patched and be supported forever. Like, what is that? They're like, well, I don't know. It's cheap. They're like, no, no, cheap is not the thing we're solving for. We need a framework that's going to be here for 10 more years. So we don't have to like redo the whole user portal that costs us millions and millions of dollars to redo in people time. Like, that's what I want to not have. And so 
how do we make sure this tailwind thing doesn't go away? Like, how come they're not charging us for that? So if you said it's now it's $20,000 a month, we'd say, whoa, that's a lot. But if you said, you know, oh, it's this much smaller amount, <laughs> but not $20 a month either. And, and, and like, then, then, you know, like, or you have this notion that this is a real quote unquote real business that's not going anywhere, you know? And so I'm just, I'm just painting the picture of the other side where, where you're looking at it like, what I just do like a like you said a different Discord channel and do some support and and I kind of do this anyway like that's your attitude and you're not wrong but that doesn't mean that's the customer's attitude <laughs> and if the customer's attitude is like I need to make sure you're here and I do want to be able to jump on that or have someone jump on that Discord and I'm willing to spend a couple thousand dollars a month on that because I got millions of dollars riding on this thing so what <laughs> I mean that could be an easy an easy one and then so now you have your adherents bringing it into work on your behalf. You know, trying to trying to get those, and of course, this is the Atlassian story. For, forever, they had these really cheap things, where like these huge companies were getting stuff for eight grand a month. I mean, for like hundred thousand seats for eight grand. You know, right? <laughs> like eventually they fixed that, but for like a decade they didn't fix it. They're just like, eh, if you're a big company, you'll pay more, and otherwise not. And yeah, you know, it's fine, and it and it was fine. So like again, you could you could you could think about segmenting your customers, not necessarily based on features so much as what is their attitude. What do they really value? Is it that expensive really to give them what they want? And again, all this might be all a horrible idea because of what you said. I just never want to have support people. Like, oh, good. Then don't do anything I just said. <laughs> you know? But if we're just brainstorming growth ideas, well, that's a growth idea. <laughs> 100%. And the reality is like big companies that use Tailwind, when they have a problem, I help them anyways. Uh, because I don't want... <laughs> you know what I mean? Like. Because I want them to have a good experience because I don't want it to reflect poorly on us, you know? Well, so, so that's a really good reason to charge if you're going to do it anyways. Yeah. And I would say it's not like it's it's even an every week thing. It's like once in a while, I get a message from someone, you know? Of course. I mean, we we, we have, you know, yeah. customers of all sizes. Our larger customers get different levels of support. And we also have a enterprise support thing to purchase. So, you know, even if you buy a whatever size thing, you can also buy additional support. Of course, they don't call every day, you know, right? But when they call, they want to talk or they want a good result and so forth, right? So, yeah, this is really normal. I mean, the Google Cloud support contract starts at 30K a month. I'm not saying you, do, you yeah. should or shouldn't copy that model. Tailwind is not the same thing as, as all of Google Cloud or Amazon, you know? So, okay. But the point being like, oh, yeah, of course they don't want to call every day. They just want to be able to call and, and you answer it in, in some kind of SLA that you've decided. And by the way, it can be a 24-hour turnaround period. Or it can be something like, well, it's four hours in, within the workday as defined by the following. <laughs> Otherwise, it's it. Or, or you could say it's you know four work hours, but that's defined by this. You know, <laughs> this window of shit. So it might be like Friday might turn into Monday. You know, <laughs> based on that definition, you can define whatever it is to make it work for you. We can't because we're real time. See, this is the problem. I didn't listen to my own advice, right? So we can't do mm -hmm. that. Oh, your site's down. I'll get back to you on Monday, right? We can't do that. But yeah. we, we we deal with site outages on Thursdays only. Um, and then, by the way, since you're charging so much, and those aren't support reps, those are like solution engineers. Like that's the title of the person that you're you're getting. That's also why they're not up at two in the morning on Sunday because these are real engineers. Like you're not getting some random L1 person that tells you to change your path, you know, reset your password or whatever. That's not what's happening here, right? It's not what you're paying for and that's not what we're going to give you. You know, right now you're getting the founder of the whole thing. That's what you're getting. So, you're okay, yeah. it won't be the founder and it shouldn't be and I don't think they would think it should be either. Again, that's a bad sign, <laughs> right? I want to know that you have like a team of people, even if they're not awake 24-7, 
that I'm, I have so that if one of them leaves or you leave, like I still have that team, you know, that's what I want to know if I'm at a bigger company. So there might be a way to do all that. That does make sense, but you might still not want to just get into it at all. Right. And it's, then again, you could, you could have it be annual only or, or just at least the, the, the thing could last for a year so that if, if you hate it after six months, you can just write it out and be done. So that's another way to do it. It's a big test. Like that's a big, lots of energy, time, money. It could be really bad. Like that's not a trivial test, but it is a two-way door over time. Like you could, you could simply decide to say, you know, we're stopping our, our, that product. We had a, we had this enterprise support product. It's not working for us. So we've, we decided not to renew it. So we simply won't renew you when it comes up. We simply won't. You know, they're back to where they were before. So what the hell, you know? <laughs> it's definitely an option. Definitely something to consider for sure. Cool. Cool. All right. Well, Jason, thank you for recording that talk 10 years ago. Super helpful to me and to a bunch of others. Thanks for coming on here as well to, to review with us. It was great chatting with you. Yeah, this was fun. It was fun to think back on all that stuff. And maybe we came up with some ideas. And if they're not the best ideas, at least maybe it's got the juices flowing. And, you know, maybe maybe the best idea will, will arrive because we got it kickstarted or something, you know? Totally. Mm-hmm. Yeah, more, more on that. But. For sure. No, this has been this has been amazing. Super jazzed coming away from this conversation for sure. And always an absolute privilege to get a chance to, to bug you with questions and get your input on this. Oh, I love it. You guys are just, you know, you are living the dream. And it may not feel like it, but you know how many thousands of people are listening to this going, just as you said, I wish I were in your position with your problems. And you're like, okay, well, just remember that. <laughs> you know, remember that. <laughs> well, the talk is designing the ideal bootstrap business. We'll link to it, of course, but definitely go check it out. We've covered a lot of it, but not all of it. And seeing it all as in one piece, I think is totally still worth it. So do go check that talk out. And thanks for stopping by. Thanks for having me.